0: Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a delightful conversation with an old friend and peer, Ryan Bolton. Ryan is just doing incredible work in the endurance coaching world. And in this episode, Ryan discusses his journey into the world of triathlon and some of his regrets that he has uh, for when he was an athlete and his transition from being an athlete to a coach. And he shares how he works with each of his athletes and and gets them ready for their respective goals. And he describes the incredible joy he receives when his athletes achieve and, and how that joy is far superior to any of his own career highlights, including the Olympic Games experience. Ryan is just so fully invested with each of his athletes and is doing everything he possibly can to make them the greatest. Now, before we go on, I want to take a moment to just say thank you to all of you for your support, your suggestions, your feedback. I I totally appreciate every one of you, and I'm enjoying every episode and, and just have tremendous gratitude for each guest and for you for listening. Now, I hope you enjoy this one, and if you do, I'd love you to share it. Now, remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. I'm so grateful for the continued support of the show from these incredible sponsors. You really do need to have these products in your life. Personally, I use each of them daily. Athletic Greens Nutritional Beverage, Hyperice Recovery Tools, and the glutathione supplement, Continual G. What I love about Athletic Greens is its simplicity. It's delivered straight to your door, and it takes seconds to mix with water. It tastes great and goes down easy, and I know I'm getting the most comprehensive nutritional beverage on the planet in one quick drink. If you're looking for one product that has as much high quality nutrients in it as possible, then you wanna consider Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is more than just a multivitamin and multimineral, it takes it to the next level, adding a daily dose of superfoods, probiotics, greens blend, and more to support the gut health, energy, immunity, and stress. And right now, Athletic Greens is giving you, my audience, a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula. You'll receive one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs for free with your first purchase for additional immune support. Many of the population are vitamin D deficient, including myself. I focus heavily on getting in the sun throughout the day, but when I can't, I religiously supplement with vitamin D. Adding vitamin D to your daily routine is just a great way to support vitamin D production. So if you're looking to get more out of your multivitamin and invest in your immunity, energy, and gut health, then you'll struggle to find anything more comprehensive than Athletic Greens. Take ownership of your health today and receive comprehensive nutritional insurance, a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now you'll hear me mention Normatec and Hypervolt from Hyperice in several of the conversations with my guests in this show. Many of my guests and I are using these recovery tools religiously. You really must have them in your house. Sit in a pair of Normatec boots at the end of a long day. Use the Hypervolt percussion massage device to warm up muscles and loosen hot spots before working out or anytime you have a niggling injury. They're just so easy and they're so quick and they work. Their vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology and Normatec compression systems just help you warm up faster, recover quicker and simply move better. Seriously, these products are the perfect Christmas gift for any family member or good friend. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. I have a web address for all of my listeners who already know that, one, the human body makes the most powerful antioxidants on Earth. Two, the master antioxidant your body cells make is called glutathione, and the human body needs glutathione to live. Three, the reason I'm addressing a select group of listeners with this web address is that once you see what these scientists in my hometown, Sydney, have accomplished, it'll blow your mind. Go check out continualg.com. That's C O N T I N U A L G dot com. Check it out and let them know that I told you about it. All right, today's guest is a former professional triathlete and Olympian, and now one of the world's greatest endurance coaches. With a successful college running career, he made the move to triathlon and represented the USA at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. And post Olympics, had great success in the world of Ironman. Combined with his studies in exercise physiology and masters in human nutrition with an emphasis on stress metabolism, he has the perfect background for top-level coaching. He's coaching some of the world's greatest endurance athletes, including Ironman Ben Hoffman, who I had on the show a couple of months back, uh, Boston Marathon champion Carolyn Rodditch, and young and -and up-and-coming star, triathlon star, uh, Sam Long. He's the the founder and head coach of Bolton Endurance and the director of the Harambe Project, which is a group of elite distance runners in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he's also working with USA Triathlon as a technical advisor. Just simply one of the great talents of the world of triathlon. We we raced each other in the 90s, and it's been a long time since we've caught up. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Ryan Bolton, how are you, mate?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's totally awesome to be here. And Man, your intro makes me sound way cooler than I think that I am. So thanks for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always try and give you guys a little bit of a pump up before we start recording. I feel, I feel like it's a nice way to start. Where in the world are you right now?
1: I'm actually, I'm in Crested Butte, Colorado, kind of sitting in a little cabin in the middle of nowhere, which uh, makes uh, uh, doing a podcast like this kind of an interesting endeavor, but seems to be working pretty well. So I'm happy about that. Yeah,
0: no, I, I can hear you loud and loud and clear. Um, in, in my conversation with Ben Hoffman a few months back, we uh, we discussed you throughout. Um, he's obviously a big fan, and and I'm a big fan likewise of of the work that you've been doing with Ben. And I was excited to get you on to to, to learn how you're doing what you're doing, but also it's just been a long time, and I want to share some some stories from our past. Um, so thanks for coming back. I I don't know when was. A, Last time we actually caught up, it was probably Boulder maybe 15 years ago or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, it has. It's been a really, really long time. I actually thought back on when you contacted me, I was like, man, I have a, I have a handful of uh, Greg Bennett and Laura Bennett stories that I could share that might get you in trouble and maybe get me in trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think, didn't you, uh, Laura mentioned that you and her, you were living in the, garage of McKeeley Jones in, in uh, where was she in? in, South Sydney there for, for one season in yeah, 97 her- 98. And, and Siri Lindley, the three of you were all living with McKeeley. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it was in the Sutherland Shire. And I, I think it was prior to the 99, uh, season, you know, so Australian summer and our winter and, uh, McKeeley invited me and Siri and Laura kind of all independently, um, to stay because she had just bought a, a house in Janali that was right across from the railroad tracks, like right across from the railroad tracks. <laughs> and, uh, and I showed up and yeah, Siri and Laura shared a room and uh, McKeeley, of course, had her room. It's a two bedroom place. And, um, and yeah, I got, I got to live in the garage, which was really awesome in the Australian summer and um, it, with, with all the bikes. And there was a little twin bed in there. And uh, one thing that I remember about that was, well, it was pretty interesting because, I mean, if you know the triathlon world and you know McKeeley's personality, Siri's persona, personality, my personality, Laura's personality, I mean, it was quite the household that we had. But uh, um, one thing that I, I distinctly remember is we would always get, because it's Australia, and, uh, you know, you're right on the Royal National Park there, which, I mean, makes it a brilliant place to train, but we, we would always have these big-ass spiders in the house. and um, and the girls, uh, I mean, not to like stereotype, but the girls would always freak out <laughs> when these spiders would show up. And so I was the only guy in the house. So I kind of like had to man up and and be all manly and, and get the spiders. But I so this one time I remember I would like, whatever, grab a bowl. And I was like, you know, like very nice. And, you know, I wouldn't kill the spider. I would normally like capture it and put it outside. I'd like put it in a bowl or something. And, and uh, I remember this one cause it was pretty distinctly big. And ugly. And like a couple weeks past this, and I don't know if Laura would remember this, but uh, I was at like the the visitor center at Royal National Park and they have all these spiders like, you know, in like resin kind of like on display. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, that's that spider that I captured a few weeks ago. And the guy at the gift shop was like. Oh, mate, he's like, that thing's incredibly poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> that was, a, that was a fun away, probably, or one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, I just like you put it in a bowl and threw it outside. I thought it was totally fine, but... Apparently, in Australia, there's legitimate fear when you have spiders in your house to get rid of yeah. them. Yeah, you, you, you,
0: you, you, you don't capture your own spiders and snakes in Australia. You don't go near them, mate. <laughs> so they, firstly, they jump a mile, and when they get you, they, they're going to do some serious damage. But <laughs> I know, I right. well, I, I, for one, I grew up in Sydney, so you always hear these stories. You know, the Australians, you got spiders and snakes everywhere you go. Honestly, when I grew up sort of in, in a town right on the harbour and, and it was pretty built up over the last hundred and fifty years. So we really never got to see too many snakes and spiders. But I think where you are down on the Sutherland Shire there, you would have had you would have had plenty. But I mean it's Laura's often dropped your name um, in that time in sort of '98. And and you did the Grand Prix, didn't you? You did one season of the Grand Prix, the Australian Grand Prix.
1: No, I didn't. And that's a huge regret of mine because Laura was doing it that year, and I think Siri was doing it as well. And you know, I, honestly, I don't think I was invited to do it. I think maybe if I would have been or if I would have pushed and asked, I could have done it and uh for me, like uh, you know I was treating that time there as like basically a base season to get ready for the upcoming you know World Cup mm-hmm. season but uh mm-hmm. like in hindsight i i wish I wish I would have done that Grand Prix. I think it would have made me a way better draft legal racer, I mean the amount of experience that. You guys got from racing that series was just immense you know i mean it yeah. was such a cool format and uh yeah and like i said in the experience that you got plus at the time that series as you well know like the best guys in the world were doing it. i mean you stepped on the start line there it was like being at a top level wts race i mean it's pretty hefty
0: yeah well I think it was the bit be- I think it was I just had Chris McCormack on and we were discussing my career and 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 our career if anything together and and how the Grand Prix and the whatever you want to call it Formula One Grand Prix whatever they call it these days um and how that really launched a lot of us onto the world tour and and you basically you would go to a race like Ishigaki Japan World Cup you know and and you're coming off the Australian summer of racing and you'd get off the bike and all of you who'd been doing the series just took off like madmen and away you went. And it was really the top 15 guys had all been doing the series. And 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 I think that just projected us all onto the world tour in a way that we've never seen before. And it's one of the things that I've been really pushing every federation I talk to these days. I'm like, guys, you've got to get racing. You know, we, you've got to race. You've got to learn to race more often. and And especially that short format for the Olympics really – put us in good stead um going forward yeah. you know it's it, yeah I, I think it, it was definitely a, a series that that made a lot of careers you know we were those young guys that, that got to got to have that and get going with it so um yeah but anyway enough of enough of that let's get back to you and <laughs> I, I, I these days let's just I had Dr Dan Pluze on I don't know if you know Dan he's a uh, yeah, I know who he
1: is for sure. Yeah, yeah,
0: a wonderful guy, doctor of exercise physiology and uh, Iron Man athlete in his own right. And uh, he's actually training with a lot of his athletes that he's coaching. Are you doing that these days? How's your fitness level?
1: <laughs> That's a great question, and uh, maybe something to ask Sam Long or Heather Jackson or Ben Hoffman because uh, <laughs> they, uh, they love to uh, they love to push me at my limits. I actually, so I used to run um, with my East Africans all the time, and. And uh, but I can't run much anymore. I, I have a hurt knee, which I have no idea how I hurt it, probably from skiing or something, but that kind of keeps me from running. But I'll still swim and um and I'll still bike and everything. And I do get I get out with those guys and everything. And Ben's always we kind of joke about it, and those guys all joke about it, is they're always trying to drop me, you know. So <laughs> go on rides and it's always like, I'm just, you know, it's like I'm not sure. In fact, I went skiing nordic skiing with sam long the other day and uh in the middle of the ski and this is very sam he was like how old are you and i was like 47 and he's like maybe by the time you're 50 i'll be able to drop you in these
0: things (laughs) (laughs) no way mate I'm i'm not
1: rock star fit but uh but and if and honestly i mean of course if those guys are like pushing hard like they could drop me in two seconds but um but i mean i try to stay fit enough so that i can at least do you know a ride a ride with them and you know, get out with them and everything. And actually, you know, for me, this is like a weird thing to admit, but I would say with like top level female pro athletes, like I'm probably that's probably about where my like uh, uh, limit is. So like, for example, you know, going for a hard ride with Heather Jackson is a really good workout for her. And it's a really good workout for me. She can put me me on the ropes, but I can kind of maybe put her on the ropes too. So it actually is fine. Whereas like, once again, with my top level pro guys, like, of course, if they're putting, if they start throwing down power, like I'm off the wheel instantly. But uh, but I do, I I try to stay relatively fit. uh, But with coaching, um, you know, it's kind of always the priority, obviously, to not, you know, be on the bike. And that's what I, I actually can usually gauge my level of fitness based on, um, or, or how busy I am with work, on how low my level of fitness is. It's totally. Probably- directly correlated so yeah when i start uh, feeling a little bit uh, hefty I, I know that i've just been maybe working a bit much and not not uh, training but maybe that's a good thing so yeah
0: well, well i think when, when i had ben on he was celebrating your he was really praising your your ability he's like yeah that guy is just incredible athlete in his own right you know so i think i think you have measured up to him the fact that you you're even sort of you know matching with with heather jackson and it's, it's you're probably only looking at a 10 percent drop-off um you know, from elite men to elite women. So it's, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that, buddy, because myself, (laughs) I just turned, I just turned 49 and, and, uh, it's getting harder and harder and and like you I think it becomes a, a priority thing it's like for me these days with two little kids and everything it's okay I got 40 minutes in a morning to do something what is it
1: yeah right and
0: it's like okay how do I be as specific as possible and, and and it might be doing you know some heavy weights or it might be just jumping on the treadmill and doing 45 second to, you know VO2 max type things or whatever it is it's like okay you don't have much time just do the best you can and for me, it's just avoiding dad bod as long as I can. I, you know, once, <laughs> once the kids, kids get a bit, old, bit older and maybe for my 50th, I'll try and do something a bit more adventurous and a bit more of a challenge. But
1: That's right. You know, it's like, we just, can just have keep a, moving. We can have an old guy's triathlon here in a few years. <laughs> oh,
0: moving. mate. Not when I look at <laughs> the talent of some of you guys. It's not fair. I, I just, uh, I mean, and, and on that, I, I want to kind of wind the clock back with you because I think, l- l- let's go right back because you've had quite the journey and quite the education along the way um, and all your experiences added up. Tell me, when, when did you get into the the world of endurance sport? Um, because I can, yeah. you come from Wyoming or somewhere, don't you? It's a small right. town yeah, in Wyoming. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is pretty much the endurance sports capital of the world. <laughs> you think about it. So, well, honestly, the good thing about being from Wyoming is that it's there's a lot of wide open spaces. And um, you know, another Wyomingite who is big in the triathlon world is Barb Lindquist, and I, I know you mm. know Barb. And um, but there is, there's a lot of wide open space. The other thing. I grew up in a town that was, it's oil and gas country. So it's a very small town, but we actually had the tax revenue generated from, from oil and gas development was so much that the town that I grew up in had a 50-meter state-of-the-art indoor pool, which I know you're from Australia, 50-meter pools are a dime a dozen, but you know in the States, they're not. And in Wyoming, they're certainly not. But You know, as a kid, you just don't realize, like for me, it was normal, you know, to have this really nice indoor 50 meter pool in in a small middle of nowhere Wyoming town. But um, I didn't realize how unique ultimately that was, like just even in the United States. So I actually had a pretty neat infrastructure, but I did. I I was competitive in swimming and and running, you know, at a young age. Um, I ran and I guess almost swam well enough to get college scholarships. I did not want to swim in college. Um, Laura, I, 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 she can probably speak to that. I felt like swimming in college meant like four years of being a zombie. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and that did not appeal to me. And She may, she may, she may say that that, that is the case. I felt like, I was like, yeah, swimmers, like, you know, you just never see the sun. And, uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I went to school for, for running, but when I, I guess another fortunate thing, and especially for the United States and, being from a rural area, there were a couple local triathlons, like from maybe the age, my age of like 12, you know, which is, you know, the later eighties, which is really, you know, kind of Mm. the forefront of the sport. So that I popped into and, you know, being that I had a running and swimming background, um, and I rode my bike, you know, everywhere as well as a kid, it was kind of as a neat opportunity, um, to pop into it. And then when I was in college and, you know, I don't know if you know this and, there are a lot of funny stories about this. And, um, I, I ran my freshman year after that year, I had an opportunity to, uh, I I was living in Boulder, actually, my best friend ran for CU and I was working at Scott Carpenter pool. And, uh, I know, you know, Scott pretty well, probably. (laughs) And, uh, I would swim on my lunch breaks. I was training for cross country and, um, but I wasn't racing triathlon. And, uh, one of the many pros, even back in those days, this had to have been 92 or 93, 93. Um, he said, Hey, you're a pretty good swimmer, but you don't, you look like a little runner guy. And I was like, yeah, you know, I actually have this background. He said, well, you should do, um, you know, the national championships in triathlon. And I went, this was 92 actually. And I was like, okay, when's that? And he was like, "Ah, oh, it's in Cleveland. It's in Cleveland. And I went and showed up for that. And, uh, it ended up like I ended up winning. So for, you know, the U S national championships for juniors, and they were like, Hey, who are you? And you get to go to Muskoka, Canada and whatever, three weeks to go to the world championships. And I was like, (laughs) that sounds really cool. And I show up in Muskoka, like as green and naive as can possibly be and got my ass handed to me. I just totally got my ass kicked. I think I was like 28th place or something like that. I had no idea what hit me. Um, but I told myself I was like, I got one more year as of, of being a junior. And so the next year I redshirted my outdoor track season so that I could actually get on the bike, you know, prior to June first. <laughs> and uh uh I made the US national team, and that was the year that uh Worlds was in Manchester, England. Mm-hmm. And um, and I ended up getting second place, and that was a big year. Um I remember I, was, I ran into Crowey, like, uh, you know, every once in a while, but he, I remember he, he asked me because he's such a scholar of the sport. And he was asking me in relation to what happened at Worlds that year. He's like, oh, I've heard stories because, I mean, if you look at some of the old school, like McCormick was fourth in that race. Mm-hmm. Alexander Menzon was third. Um, I was second. Like Norman Stadler was like eighth. Like there was- no, he was fifth. Norman Stadler was fifth. Oh, was fifth? Yeah, yeah.
0: Olivia Marceau, who was yeah, exactly. a world champion. I mean, yeah. the, the world titles that came from that. Junior race in 1993. The world titles over the next 15 to 20 years that came from that junior race is absolutely incredible. Andrew Johns, yeah, uh, who won yeah. European champs many times, I mean that's just an incredible field. Anyway, go on. I interrupted you, but it was an no, 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 no. Well,
1: so, so that was, but I mean, I really set my mind on that race, and uh, I ended up getting second. Interestingly, I found out, and this was uh, this this was from Craig Alexander as well as the guy who won was a Swiss kid who was an Uber biker, very very strong cyclist. I was told, cause I never heard of what happened to him. I, I assume maybe he just went into pro cycling or something because he didn't stay in the sport of triathlon. And Craig Alexander told me that he passed away, like at the age of 21, like kind of unexpectedly. Um, and I, I think it was like maybe a heart something. And I was like, wow, that is just shocking to me. But, um, cause he was kind of the only one, like you said, in that group that we didn't ultimately see later on. Um, the good news was I got second at world championships. Um, the bad news was, is I went back to college a week later and my cross country coach said, "Hey, this is fantastic! Like, you know, amazing job." But he was pissed because <laughs> he's like, "I'm paying you to to run, you know, for the university, not to do this goofy, silly triathlon stuff." And um, yeah. and I, I evaluated it, and I mean, I know, you know, it's kind of a like, I, you know, to this day, I don't know if it was the best decision or or not. But um, it was, you know, back in that day, the kind of contracts that it could have got. At the age of 19 to start racing professional triathlon were you know maybe okay but um college was incredibly valuable and a college scholarship you know was incredibly valuable so at that point i just said i i i told my coaches and i told usa triathlon at the time i was like i'm not going to race triathlon again until um you know until i get done with school which ultimately was a great decision It, it let me develop more as a runner um it's not like I quit swimming or cycling during that period I just did it less and then kind of coincidentally you know I, gra- I graduated um right in 95 96 which is exactly when uh, they you know they announced that triathlon was going to be in the Olympics and so that was a, a clear doorway for me to jump back into the triathlon world
0: It's interesting isn't it I mean you've touched on so many things just there it well first we can kind of talk about the The difficulty of the the program that the U.S. sets over here with the scholarships and the universities, because Laura went through the same thing. She, yeah, exactly. I remember. She was swimming; had a swimming scholarship. She was a walk-on, but she got a scholarship with SMU, and then they she went away uh, during the summer. And started running a bunch, did triathlons, and came back. And, and I think the coach, and I might get this quote a little bit wrong, but basically he said, "Look, you're too skinny. You're not, you've lost all your strength. <laughs> right. You have to stop. You have to stop this running business. You know, we need to build you up and get your strength back for, for swimming." And 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 Laura then had to put a blinders on a little bit and focused on the the um, hundred meter butterfly and the two hundred meter butterfly for SMU. And eventually, look, they won. I think in the relay, she won the NCAA championships and and had a lot, lot of success through doing her studies and everything else but it's it, I feel like we still see that now um, with the USA athletes that they're still juggling do I go all in in this sport of triathlon for many of them they love triathlon more than the single sports the scholarship program starting to happen for the for the women but for the men you know they're still kind of going do I just you know do a single sport or or not I mean what are your thoughts on on where it's at at the moment
1: yeah. You know, it's interesting because as you, as you know, I do work with USA triathlon or for USA triathlon is, is my title there is the performance advisor. And we, you know, I'm on weekly calls with all of the team at USA triathlon, the high performance team. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there, there's the pathways now for athletes. The good news is, is we have more pathways than ever. So like you said, you have women's NCAA triathlon and that We haven't got like a bunch of national team level athletes from that yet, but I think inevitably in time we will, you know, we have the collegiate recruitment program that's been around. And I mean, that's what Gwen Jorgensen came from. That's what a lot of our top athletes right now are from both on the men's and women's side. And so that program, it's a great feeder because what it is, you know, it's taking, it's looking at. People like Laura, people like me back in the day, if it existed, we probably would have been recruited by, you know, that program that had swim, great swim times or or great run times, but also had a background in the other sports and, uh, and, you know, recruits them into a program that then supports them post-collegiately, post their running career, post their swimming career, you know, to go into the sport of triathlon. And I mean, that's, like I said, you know, Katie's Ferris has come from that program. Uh, Matt McElroy's come from that program. Morgan Pearson's come from that program summer rap reports come from that program. Um, you know, it, so it's been a, it's, that's been really successful. Um, and then, you know, we have other programs now, you know, Project Podium, which I'm sure you've heard about, which is more athletes who, which maybe I would have done, you know, maybe a, a guy like you would have done, you know, if, if I were approached my senior year, my last year of high school and said, Hey, you can go run in college, or you can go actually start your professional triathlon career and uh, in college, you know, I think I probably would have chosen that route. And so I think that's like a really neat opportunity too. one, one thing that you mentioned earlier, that really stuck in my mind, where I feel like in, in the United States, developmentally is more challenging, um, even as juniors, but as young pros as well is what you said, the lack of ability or accessibility to frequent racing, like we just don't have that here, you know, you just can't, United States is big for one. And we just don't have that many races. You know, if you're in if you're in Europe, I mean, the Europeans, I feel like their junior programs and their development and their development of young athletes like U23 athletes can be, they can develop so much on the race circuit because every weekend, you know, you can get into a Grand Prix race or, you know, something high intensity, something fast and something highly competitive in the United States. It's just hard to do that. So, Yeah.
0: No, I agree. It's one of the things that, you know, I've had long discussions with both Triathlon Australia and and the the US over the last sort of 15, 20 years. And uh, I've I've always led with race, 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 race. And, and, you know, Miles Stewart, who's the CEO of Triathlon Australia, we we agree on all of that. It's like, you know, I don't want to see how fast you can swim in the pool. I don't care about your time. I don't care how fast you run on the track. I don't care. What I want to see is how well you do a triathlon against other people and mixing it up. And, and that to me shows not only can you do the three sports, but your passion for the sport and your desperation. And, uh, you know, I, I've i enjoyed interviewing a lot of athletes this year or this past year on the show, um, many of whom didn't have as much talent as others, but they their desperation and they, they packed up and they went to where the racing was. No matter what, they were trying to find – where is the racing? And my back is against the wall. I have to be successful, otherwise, you know, I'm 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 out of luck. But they all they went all in, and I can't help but feel sometimes if we're we're trying to hold their hands a little bit too much, um, you know, the teenagers in the young twenties. I'm kind of like get out there and get going. You know, I'm yeah, looking no, forward to having Simon Lessing on the show in the next you know few weeks. Simon, if you're listening, I'm going to be getting you on, buddy. But. <laughs> But I love Simon's story. You know, he he's uh, one of the greatest we've ever seen, and and you know, he he basically backed up against the wall and and went on to win world titles and everything else. And I just uh, I worry sometimes that we're holding hands and we're creating all these pathways, where it's it's like just just go race.
1: <laughs> you know? That is true. That is true too. Like you said, I mean, I think it, people, and I'm sure you've got this, especially in the last few years since you've retired, is you know people often say. You know what's your greatest regret? What are your, what are one of your regrets or some of your biggest mm-hmm. regrets? You know during your career, and I would say my number one answer for me is I wish I'd raced more. <laughs> like I really do, and especially especially the world triathlon style racing. You know I really I feel like we didn't have the infrastructure once again to race so much like back in the day like it had and uh i i wish that i would have like seen that light on my own and i would have just went crazy and that actually reminds me of another story with you and i, I don't even know if you know this but it was probably like in 98 it was my second year on the circuit and i wasn't nearly racing as much as you guys were and i, I really wish i would have but glenn magnum approached me <laughs> and said and if you and, and you guys it, you had the new balance team and he said hey i want you to be on this team and like I was like, this, this would be awesome. Cause I knew you were on the team. I want to say Chris Hill was on the team.
0: I mean,
1: it was guys that, you know, like, you know, I was racing shoulder to shoulder with, but you guys were living the lifestyle. You were racing the circuit, you know, you were, you were doing what a lot of the athletes do. And I told Glenn and uh, I don't know, Glenn remembers this and I haven't talked to him in many, many years, but, um, I was like, I'm in. Like, let's do this. And, and but I couldn't. um, And because it it was, uh, I had a sponsorship obligation with Saucony. I had a contract with Saucony that permitted, me obviously, from being with the New Balance team. And uh, I look at that moment though, and uh, I really wish that I could have. Because once again, I think that I would have. Drank the ITU Kool-Aid a lot more. And mm-hmm. I mean, and honestly it would have been like, I would have been probably living and training with you and Hamish and that whole mm-hmm. crew. And man, I, I think the power of that would have been so good. And that's kind of a regret of mine. I wish that I would have dove in more in, in, in the racing standpoint and just, you know, just embraced it all more. I, I think I probably would have been a better athlete. I probably would have had a longer career. I would have appreciated the sport more. I would have developed better. I mean, there's so many components of that, but, um, but now yeah, you're right though. I I totally agree coming back to that. Like getting athletes just head to head in races, getting that experience is probably the number one thing that you can do for any of them to make them better and also to see their talent and to see, you know, how talented they can be.
0: I, I don't think any of us leave our careers going, we fulfilled everything we wanted. Um, and I've said it on this podcast a while ago, you know, I remember running with Javier Gomez and we were both running along and chatting about our careers or whatnot. And, um, basically saying, ah, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. You know, Hamish has, I mean, sorry, Javier hasn't had a gold medal at the Olympics, but he's got whatever it's up to now, nine world titles. He's <laughs> right, got yeah. you know, a silver many, at the I
1: Olympics. And, is guy have. Like, yeah.
0: oh, just The guy has just won everything, but there was always this little bit like he felt, ah, oh, I'm missing out. And, you know, my career at the same time, I was like, you know, I didn't get to win the single day world championship. And I remember running with Peter Robinson and, and he'd had three world titles and I'd had none, but I'd won two world series. And we were both running along sharing our regrets or unfulfilled business, you know, that we, we hadn't done. And, and I was like, it just happens. Do you know what I mean? It's like we we do the best we can with the knowledge we have at the time and, and we go about doing it. And hindsight is an awful thing to some degree because you go, oh, if I'd done that, if I'd done that. But honestly, it's one of the things I've also chatted about in this podcast. I didn't have the ability to win i hadn't learned enough i hadn't learned how to win when i was younger and I, that came a lot lot later for me i was a very slow learner in learning how to win and uh but but i think you know when i look at your career it was reasonably short it was kind of sure. patchy it was patchy it was like this Definitely, 93 yeah. second at the world Champs, junior world champs. Which, for those that don't know, that was an Olympic non-drafting event. So it yeah. basically did require a hell of a lot of strength um, and endurance. And I think you did the fastest run split there by by quite a way. Yeah.
1: Um, I had maybe I had either the fastest overall run split or or second fastest. Um, even the men, even the yeah, elite yeah, men. Yeah. men, even yeah yeah exactly
0: yeah yeah, yeah no that's the thing. So you you've burst onto the world scene at such a young age, going. Boom, I'm here. Then you've gone, okay, I've got to go do my studies and, and get my scholarship. But then you've still come back and qualified for the US Olympic team for triathlon. Tell me about that and how special was that? And then obviously the Olympic Games.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's every kid's dream. It, well, not every kid's, but certainly people who live in the world that we live in, you know, to make the Olympics and everything. So the moment that I heard or that they announced that it was going to be, you know, in Sydney in 2000, like it was pretty. It was a simple decision. I said, "I'm, I'm going. That's that's my thing." Mm-hmm. Um, it was. I, I, I had zero idea what that pathway was going to look like. Fortunately, um, Dan Emfield, who I know you know Dan mm-hmm. too, he called me randomly out of the blue, and uh, I'm just like sitting in my you know crappy apartment in Laramie, Wyoming, and he said. Um, he said, Hey, I, I talked to USA triathlon today and they, they asked me who was going to be on the 2000 Olympic team and people that I didn't know of. And they gave me your name and I don't know who you are. (laughs) He's like, but I've just looked at your running stats and he was like, I think you can do well. And, but, um, so he actually kind of took me under his wing and like, you know, hooked me up. He was, he was, uh, you know, running and owned uh, Quintana Roo at the time. And, um, which was really neat. And he kind of got me going. Um, in that year, it was like, uh, 1996 in the summer. So, and then in 97, I was able to start racing. Um, and then in 98, I really started racing, you know, the circuit with you guys. And, and, um, once again, there was very little infrastructure for us, uh, on the circuit at that point. I remember my first race, uh, was, uh, uh, Gamagori and, um, and, uh, this is a a really funny story. So this is 98 Gamagori and I through my massage therapist who was Japanese had a kind of got accommodation. So I flew into Tokyo, was picked up by, uh, Hideki, uh, what's Hideki's last name? He's still involved with, uh, uh, uh Japan. yeah. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. So Hideki picks, picks, me up. I stay in Tokyo with him and in the team, you know, which was so much fun for me. Um, and then, and then we went to Gamagori and I, we show up like at 10 o'clock at night at the host hotel and uh, I walk in and I was like, Hey, I'm Ryan Bolton. I have a room here. And they're like, we have nothing for you. And, uh, <laughs> so, and, uh, and it was just like that, like kind of ca- crazy and chaotic. I was told that I had a room and I didn't have a room, but anyway, they like found some room cause someone had dropped out. And, uh, at that race, um, it was my first WTS race. And uh, well, I guess they were called world cups at the time, as you know, and, um, packed up on the bike, you know, there's maybe 20 of us on the bike and I'm just like, you know, hanging on for dear life. And, have no idea. And I take off on the run and on, it was a four loop run. And on the first loop of the run, I just drill it. And I'm like fully in the lead. And I remember while was in the race and I'm like, I'm kicking Greg Welsh's ass right now. Like this is going awesome. And by lap number three, it was like game over. <laughs> like, totally. like I'm an idiot. McKeeley was there. McKeeley was like, oh, I knew you were going to get like absolutely smoked. I remember her telling me after the race, she was like, "You're such an idiot, Ryan." Is of course McEachie can tell you like no other, but um and uh, but uh, I ended up getting seventh at that race, and that was really good. And I guess it gave me the idea. I was like, "Okay, I think that maybe I can do well at this." And so whatever, over the next couple of years, um, you know, I just raced the circuit. But like you, super good term. It was really patchy. It's not like I was following the circuit. I was kind of racing when it was necessary because I was also dabbling in, you know, non-drafting Olympic distance stuff in the States, because there was a relatively like robust circuit for that and ability to make money, which was kind of nice. Um, Mm -hmm. but still full on, you know, and then making the team. I mean, I was, we had two opportunities that year to make the team, the Sydney world cup, uh, was the first opportunity. And like, once again, I, i mean looking back on this i was a complete idiot um i didn't even go to that race like i i was like yeah i'll make the i'll make the team at the uh, the domestic because the other race was a domestic race that they invited foreigners to um, yeah. and uh i don't think you were there actually but
0: uh i don't uh, think so laura, laura might have gone but i don't th- where was that one well was, that was in dallas, dallas or somewhere wasn't
1: it yeah it was yeah. in like dallas yeah exactly but um yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was cocky or stupid, probably both. But um, I didn't even go to the Sydney World Cup uh, to try to get a spot. Hunter Kemper got the spot there, and then um, I would I I had like one of the shittiest races of my life at the Olympic Trials race, though. I had a horrendous swim, got on the bike, the bike was horrible, um, and I basically just had to run my way onto the Olympic team, but. It, it shows you the power of the mind though. Like in my mind, there was like, no doubt that I was going to make the Olympic team. So I was going to do whatever wow. it took to get there. But, uh, yeah. So I made, you know, I made the team, which was like, so amazing. I, I think, you know, it's really special. It was one of those moments where I realized at the time, it's kind of hard to realize like at that young of age, like how significant it was and ultimately how significant it would be to, you know, race in the first, you know, Olympic triathlon ever, But, um, but I don't like, but I don't think I appreciated it as much at the time as I do now. And once again, I think that's a hindsight thing, but, uh, and and people always ask, you know, what was the race like? And I think you could probably attest to this as well. It was just another race. (laughs) You know what I mean? I just happened to be staging, you know, underneath the Sydney opera house with, you know, the 55 guys that I'd been racing for the last three years of my life, you know, it didn't really feel much differently except for, you know, the logistics and the hubbub of it and everything. And even the way, you know, that the race went off and everything, but, um, but, uh, still, you know, an amazing experience. And as you know, I mean, Australia, like just the Olympics in general, like they embraced it so much and appreciate it. People love sport there so much. So it's such a neat place to be for the Olympics and also you know, triathlon, it's just, you know, it's almost, almost like, you know, one of the national sports of the country. And so, you know, uh, people just love that there too. You know, the women were on the first day of the Olympics, we were on the second day of the Olympics. And I mean, yeah, just such a, like, such a special event to be a part of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I would have appreciated it more at the time. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to when you're in that moment.
0: I mean, you, through throughout your running career, because you did have your own kind of running career during your college days as well, I mean, did you ever think, okay, running was potentially giving a stab at that at the Olympics? Did you think your times? I mean, I know your generation had people like uh, Meb and, and Culpepper and a whole bunch of others yeah. in sort of your age group there. Did, did And you were matching it with those guys. Did you ever feel like yeah. running
1: could have been it? Yeah, I did. When I was, you know, at the top of my running, I was, you know, I I mean, I was one of the top American like runners at the time. I think what I looked at at the time, and I mean, even Meb and, and Alan Culpepper, who you just mentioned, um, Mm. like they were not, they were, they were, you know, some of the best Americans, but they were not competitive at an international level. Yeah. yeah, And I think that's what I looked at. Like when I looked in the mirror, Like I saw a triathlete and I saw my ability to maybe be one of the best triathletes in the world, but I didn't see myself, you know, uh, improving my 5k time by a minute over a minute When when you're down in the low 14s, you think you're running well, and
0: then you're like, "Hang on, I'm still a lap behind on the track."
1: (laughs) I'm like, "Oh, there's an 18 year old Kenyan kid that just ran 12:52 or something." (laughs) That's exactly right. I mean, so I thought, you know what? Like, I think I could maybe compete with the best in the world in triathlon. Plus, I mean, the other thing is, is you know, you're a triathlete. I'm I'm built, you know, more like you. Like, I weighed, I want to say, in college at my lightest, I was like 100 and 42 pounds you can convert that to kilos but um and uh, 65 yeah. 66 kilos yeah uh, and I, I was you know i was this scrawny guy but like if you look at photos from me from like big races national champion <laughs> <laughs> like i look like i'm a linebacker you know isn't it funny i've got a I've got a story on that i've got <laughs> yeah. a story on that i remember
0: i did the the beta breakers running race in san francisco many yeah, yeah. many times yeah. Got to know the the race director very well, and he always flew me in and picked me up in a limousine. It made me really feel special. It was always a really fun race to go. Anyway, one year I think it was two thousand and three. I had my running going pretty well. I think I you know it was down in the low twenty nines, and it was actually I was so I was able to mix it with with the with the East Africans, and
1: yeah.
0: I got to about four or five k in. Well, up, up Heartbreak Hill, so it must be maybe a bit less than that. But yeah, it's maybe, early in the race. Two miles. Yeah. yeah. And I get to the top and I'm still in probably that fifth or sixth spot. And I hear on the side of the road, who's the big white guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's nothing that makes you feel a bit heavy when you run, when somebody yells out, who's the big white guy? <laughs> Mixing it up with all the East Africans. But I know what you mean. It's like you you get as lean as you can, but you're never going to be quite that that African
1: Right, I wasn't going to be 125 pounds, and um, okay. you know, I mean, I had swimmer shoulders and and everything. But I just, I did. Ultimately, that decision was completely based on where I felt like I had you know more potential. But I also loved the sport of triathlon, you know, and the idea mm-hmm. of it. I mean, it was new at the time. Draft legal was new at the time, which was incredibly exciting to me. And I mean, I just loved the fact that it, it was three sports the dynamics that that created the strategy that that created you know running the the thing that i love about running is it's incredibly pure you know mm-hmm. it's basically like put on a pair of shoes and see who can go the fastest but you know with triathlon I, I feel like now even more so than ever like there's a significant amount of well i mean just the fact that there's three sports makes it you know somewhat complicated but strategy there's so much more strategy and training there's so much more it's so much more dynamic, you know, uh, training for a triathlon. And I mean, even me looking at it from a coaching standpoint, you know, working with a, a professional marathoner versus working with a professional triathlete, I would say, you know, when it comes to scheduling, when it comes to race planning, when it comes to race tactics, um, you know, tra- it's 10 times, uh, as complicated for a triathlon <laughs> than it is, yeah. running, you know? So, um, yeah. And that's one thing that I really loved about the sport, which is also, I think that, you know, I saw my passion in the sport, uh, you know, more so than running ultimately. So it it made a lot of sense to move into it as well.
0: I love that. I, I remember going to some of the running races, which I do around the U S and the runners would be like, Oh, what laces are you going to put in? They all had like these lightweight racing, like the laces mattered to them right and coming from triathlon i was like oh are you serious <laughs> like, there's, there's so many more things right. you're gonna do exactly. I, I used to love flying to a running race with a backpack a pair of shoes and away i'd go it was a it was i love the the simplicity of just going to a running race but like you my heart was always in Triathlon and I, I I was a bit like you as well when I was growing up. I looked at the East Africans and looked at the times of the world. I was just like, oh no, 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 no. That's that's never going to be on the cards to be able to, to be able to run with them. And and even now, if I look at the young triathletes, like Chris McCormack and I were saying on last week's episode, was I mean, they're running in the mid-13s for the 5k now, these triathletes. Yeah. I exactly mean, enough. it's yeah. it's it's taken the sport of triathlon and they're they're swimming faster than we ever did and they it's, it's incredible where the where the sports you know where it's going now it's yeah, absolutely incredible and then po- post-olympics you then decided enough and you went to ironman for a little bit and you had some success there you you, you did reasonably well uh you won lake placid ironman you, you you went to kona a number of times what was the thinking behind that you, you were done with the whole olympic movement T- box ticked, or, or what was that
1: yeah it was at the time and like I said, this is kind of a hindsight 2020 thing is, I feel like I would have stuck through Athens in 20, 2004 if I, um, you know, if I was like in a DTE, like if I would have been like on a similar team that you were on and everything. But two things came up is I really, I feel like physiologically, I am more Ironman oriented. Like, like you know, the way that my body works is it's it was more favorable to Ironman racing. I enjoyed Ironman training better. Um, I liked because I, I wasn't, you know, doing the whole circuit the, the, the idea of like doing three major races a year, as opposed to doing, you know, 15 and traveling around the world constantly was kind of appealing to me at the point. Um, but I think a, a critical, I sat down with my coach, Joe Friel, um, after the Olympics and he was like, okay, what's next, you know, what do you want to do? And he felt like physiologically I was probably, you know, had more potential in the Ironman distance as well, which to this day, I mean, maybe I think I could have maybe developed, you know, more into an ITU athlete, but regardless, this is the way that he put it. He said, in four years, I have no doubt that you could go to the 2004 Olympics. I don't know if he remembers this conversation or not. And he was like, and and potentially win the race. He was like, but it's, you know, it's, it's world cup style racing. It's ITU style racing. He's like, it's more of a crap shoot. And it is. Um, he was like, you know, he's like, I have no doubt in my mind, you know, that in four years from now you could go to the Hawaii Ironman and win the race. And, and I think like that, like made me think about it more. And, um, yeah, I was still young though. And that's the thing you know, I was like probably 26 years old and I could have, I could have went either way, but I did choose to take the Ironman route. And I don't regret that. I mean, I really loved, I did love the training for Ironman I love the racing for triathlon or for you know the long course stuff and you know I my first half Ironman was in 2001 and it was uh St. Croix and this is uh I remember I finished the race and I, I I can't remember who it was but you know one of the old school triathlon media people the day before was wildflower and the guy and I I won in St. Croix and I beat you know a bunch of Ironman guys <laughs> mm. and uh maca had won wildflower the day before and the guy was like look he's like look at this he was like you you know you olympic distance guys like you know first race out you know, <laughs> you do it you do a half iron man and you destroy everyone and he was like you know they have something to learn and i think once again we were kind of like on the forefront of that the first generation of olympic distance guys were like maybe moving up to that long course stuff mm-hmm. and you started seeing that and now you've seen that uh, that story kind of repeated over and over and over again you know, multiple times with, you know, people like even, you know, Alistair and, and Javier oh, and Perdana, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, so many people. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, And I mean, I think it kind of like stuck to me then too. Like I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I, I can do pretty well at this and I like the training and everything. And so, yeah, I, you know, I stuck it out for, you know, yeah. whatever, a few years.
0: A quick mini break. I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. High price now have a great holiday sale. $50 off Hypervolt and Hypervolt Plus. off all normal tech packages, 20% off all other Hyperice tech, and the brand new Hypervolt Go is now available for $199. It's smaller and it's more portable. Hyperice.com. That's Hyperice.com. H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com. I I think you've touched on a bit there, but just talking about some of the Olympic guys, I think we have a really good equal mix of Olympic athletes stepping up to true breed Ironman athletes that are really going at it. Because even if we look at 2019 Ironman World Championships, okay, Jan Ferdino did win it and yep. smashed it. But then I look at uh, Tim O'Donnell, he's yep. a pure Ironman athlete. He, he did totally. spend his time doing some World Cups and things, but generally, he's a strong man. Sebastian yep. Kinley, strong man. Yeah. Ben Hoffman, who you coach, strong yep. man. Yep. So you kind of look at that and go the strong men Ironman athletes are still the ones turning up to Kona every year. And okay. Jan's come along and, and he has sort of changed it for if the guys that have that Olympic background. But uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, we, we, we do have quite a good equal there. And you also mentioned, this is the thing I've always loved about it, um, that your physiology you thought was to Ironman, right? <laughs> but, but you loved the Ironman training. And that's almost the question when people go like, Greg, when are you going to step up to Ironman or whatever? I'm like, no, I know my physiology because I can answer what training do I want to do? I don't even need to go get tested, right? I, I want to go do 10 by three minute efforts as hard as I can on the trails with one minute recovery. I want to go race more often. I don't want to do a five hour bike, right? I don't want to do, you know, and you kind of go, well, that's why I stay to my, I believe my strengths and my talent was to stay short course because I knew myself just by knowing what training I wanted to do. (laughs) It's
1: so funny that you say that because I say the same thing. I'm like, you have we have so many gadgets and so much potential testing, physiological testing, and all of that type of stuff. But I have a very simple way to tell you probably what type of racing you're best at. And I'll say that, you know, to an age group athlete or a pro, so I'm like, would you rather go right now? Would you rather go run 18 miles aerobically or would you rather go do, like, I'll use your example, three by three, whatever, you know, would you say 3K three, <laughs> three K or three minutes? Three minutes. <laughs> three minutes exactly. If you want to do three by three minutes, all out. And the guy who says, I want to do three by three minutes all out short course group, you know what I mean? Guy, <laughs> exactly. I done. I mean physiological hours. test done. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally Like, that's all you got to say, you know, exactly where someone because to you, those three by three minutes probably felt good. It felt strong, and the the idea of running eighteen miles sounded like absolute torture. Whereas for a long course person, the opposite three by three minutes sounds like absolute hell. And you know, whereas running eighteen miles is like oh, brilliant. You know, I could do that all day long. So, no, I, I totally agree. That's like a a complete litmus test for you know what what you're good at. But um, but yeah. So, so- you're right
0: let's move on a little bit because I think, I think, I think we've decided how everybody should just test themselves. these days yeah, and yeah, 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 It's easy, <laughs> it's yeah. easy done. Yeah. Um, when, when did you, that mindset come, you know, changing from an athlete to a coach and to some degree serving others, you know, becoming less about yourself and, and, and now about helping others. What was that transition like?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a multifaceted answer. And um, I mean, I guess the first thing, like that stems or that I think about when you ask that is like most people would think that I quit racing early, which I did. I mean, I think I was like 31, 32 years old. And I mean, I had good contracts. I was racing well, all that stuff. I think, you know, a lot of people were kind of shocked that I quit racing, including my coach. And I mean, I distinctly remember the day I was training in Arizona. I was actually living at my coach's house and like, I was just, um, I said I need to talk to you, and I, I sat down with them, and and you know I said I, I don't know if I have this anymore. I just don't like I'm going through the motions. Like I'm doing well. I'm I'm racing well. I'm you know I have great contracts. I'm making you know relatively good money, and you know a relative in a triathlon term. I was no Greg Bennett by any means, but uh,
0: <laughs> no, I wasn't. My I I mine looked good because it was in prize money, but, oh, yeah, yeah. but don't get me wrong. Yeah, it wasn't always fantastic.
1: <laughs> right, and. uh, but, um, part of that was like intellectual stimulus, honestly. Like I, I think I was, you know, as a triathlete, I always said, you know, you, you, well, a, it's very, it's very selfish, you know, as a pro triathlete, you have to be pretty self-centered. The focus is often on you with your peer group, with your family, whatever. But the other thing is, is I felt like my brain, my job was to turn my brain off all the time. <laughs> and, uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, um, I got, I don't know. I just felt like it wasn't stimulating me in that way. The other thing, kind of a second part of this is that unbeknownst to me, and, you know, you mentioned at the early part of the podcast, my undergraduate degree was in exercise physiology. Um, I had always promised, and I actually started graduate school before I left graduate school to start training for the Olympics, but, um, I always prom- I promised my professors in in graduate school that I would go back and and continue to do those studies when I was done with triathlon. But I was I was kind of longing for that, and I wasn't thinking like specifically I'm going to set myself up to be you know a top level triathlon coach. I wasn't really thinking that way. Um, but when I look back on it, you know, it it was all really setting up to be that way. My coach. You know, is was is one of the you know most like famous you know triathlon coaches of all time. He's a scholar of the sport. He knows so much. You know, Joe Friel, I mean, he's written Mm -hmm. books. And and Joe at the time, I don't know if he was consciously (laughs) was maybe setting me up to be a coach. You know, and uh, and really, as soon as I did tell him that I wasn't going to race anymore, I was going to retire. And um, I, I quickly decided to go back to graduate school, which was also in you know nutrition and, and metabolism and physiology. Um, you know, he started saying, "Hey, why don't you you know why don't you start coaching? Why don't you start coaching with me and and the group and everything?" And I thought, "Well, yeah, no, that sounds like a really good idea." And I think this is rare, and and this is something that I don't know if we talk about like as professional triathletes or professional athletes as much. Um, but that transition, and you know this very well, mm-hmm. like, you know, from from being that professional athlete and being, having so much focus and so much drive, you know, and so much passion for what you're doing, it's really hard to find something else mm-hmm. that gives you that same focus, that same passion, that same drive. And I think it's a challenge for people. And I mean, you see it and I mean, I know you have friends within the sport that have really struggled with that you know, and I have as well. And I mean, I actually think about it and talk with the coach, the pros that I work with now, even if some of them are, you know, whatever, 15 years from retirement, you know, about, you know, like, you know, being ready for that transition. But um, cause it is hard. I got really, really lucky by having the guidance of Joe Friel going to graduate school and having those two years to kind of get that stuff figured out, but also starting to work with people and working with some really good athletes early on that it made me realize that like I was more passionate about their success or more passionate about coaching than I was even about my own results. For some reason, like to me, it was more gratifying to work with an athlete who had success than it was when I was successful.
0: I totally get that. Laura and I always talk about that. Her, her wins and her success always trumped anything that i ever did you know what i mean i know that's just that was just it didn't matter what i did it was always like that partner or even the few athletes that i did coach matthias heck when he got eighth at hawaii it was such a big deal you know it was so tremendous that he got broke through and got top 10 so i hear that i know exactly what you're talking about that that feeling of serving others and helping others achieve their goals it's just it magnifies doesn't it It's, it's incredible
1: Yeah. And I I guess I felt really lucky that I found that. And like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but I found it. And, uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's really rolled from there. And I like, I mean, like, I'm I'm just grateful every day that I get to work with such cool top level athletes and, and I get to see their successes and I get to be a, a part of that process and everything, you know, Ben Hoffman, you mentioned, and I know you did, you know, one of these podcasts with him somewhat recently, it's, it's funny, he's a very cerebral person. And, um, you know, he he's really thoughtful. Um, he like, uh, in fact, I had a conversation with him this morning. And um, it's never, uh, it's never a quick decision with Ben, you know, when you when you talk about stuff, it's always like, okay, we need to process this and give it time to process and everything. And I really appreciate that about him but it's funny because he, when I first started working with him and I've never had an athlete, uh, a pro do this before, he, he, he said, what do you want to get out of this? Like, you know, me working with you, like, what do you want to get out of this? And I was like, that's a great question. Wow, wow, <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, um, I want you to kick ass. I want you to win. And he was like, you know, but what else? And I was like, no, I was like, seriously, Ben, I was like that. I want you to be the best triathlete in the world. And, uh, and it was, it's funny because I'd never really thought about that. You know, why, like, what did I want to get out of him? What did I want him to accomplish? What was in it for me? And uh, but it was a really neat lesson for me because it like that seriously, it made me like sit down and think about it. I was like, seriously, that's what I want to get out of this. I want him to be the best athlete in the world. And it has nothing to do with, you know, uh it, 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 I mean, it just—it's just purely that, it's, and which is kind of a, a fun place to come from. So, yeah,
0: I love that because he—he he actually in the episode, uh, well, it was really one of my favorites of last year. I really some some episodes I walk away from and go, "Wow, they were really on," you know. And, and Ben was on, and and I for one, by the by the end of it, was like, "Yeah, this guy can win Kona. This, this guy gets it. He gets." The the physical, the mental, the emotional. He gets the importance of team and relationships. He gets all the pieces. You know, he was there. He was there in he, he was there in that point of his career and he's in his late 30s now. Yeah. Where he's had the experiences, he's had a lot of the life lessons through sport. He's had he's had the roller coaster, the ups and downs, he's had all sorts of things, but he he really felt to me that he was truly taking control of everything that he could and, and i i left going okay i remember going i always go back to laura after the conversations and go yeah that one was good or you know this one i could have done better whatever but i remember with ben i was like yeah, this guy's got it and and he said i think the same thing he said you know and and ryan's on board with me you know we're in this together this is my team
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and and we're going to go take on the world together and there was something really powerful about the way that you both speak about each other that that relationship that coach athlete relationship is is one of the best i've seen so yeah. I, I do think you know i think your experiences that have led you all the way to this point um and we've still got to touch on quite a few of them but your life lessons combined with ben's lessons it's like okay you guys know what it takes now you know it's like yeah, sure. okay I yeah. uh, well, and not that's- to say there's not going to be hiccups but you get you you get how to deal with all of these things
1: yeah for sure and you know ben and I always say that about coaching, I feel like as we get technology continues to take over more and more and more in data and analytics. And man, I saw a quote the other day and I wish I could recite it directly, but it, 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 you know, says something about like, you know, that data has replaced analytics, analytics had, had replaced, you know, like whatever, uh, jeez, uh, I, I can't think of it. but basically, at the top of the spectrum is wisdom and like just knowing, you know, <laughs> and at the bottom of the spectrum is data. And I feel like so much coaching right now relies on data solely and and that's really a mistake. It's really a mistake to make because people are people, and the data is incredibly important. It's incredibly important as a as a coach to understand the data. but what's more important is to understand the athlete and to have that relationship with the athlete. and um and I mean, and I think that's a really big thing. And I guess that's one thing that I really try to create with my athletes. And, and uh, you know, it, like you said, there's always ups and downs and there's challenges. And, you know, there's a fine line between being a person's coach and being a person's friend and and all of that. But it is, it's a complete teamwork thing. And I think that's another like coaching philosophy of mine is I like to... Create a relationship with the athlete where they feel good and comfortable communicating with me. You know their needs, their wants, and I'm totally fine with them. You know challenging what I'm doing because, like, I trust them to know their bodies. And you know, Sam Long is a good example. I mean, he's a kid. <laughs> you know, I started working with him when he's uh, when he was 22 or so, and you know, he just turned 25. But even him, a big part of the process with him is like me getting him to understand his body so that he can give me proper feedback on, you know, what we can do next. And I mean, you know, for sure, I look at his stats and his data and everything, but, you know, a big part of him is teaching him how to become independent of me, honestly, you know, and I think that's what, to me, that's what really good coaching is. I see some coaches almost like create a dependency on them, And, uh, and, and I'm not a fan of that. Like I kind of like my athletes as they get older, as they get wiser, et cetera, to, you know, to almost become more independent of me and more of a collaborator with me. And that's exactly what Ben Hoffman is. And, um, is we really, it's a collaboration. I'm a member of his team. He's the CEO of his team. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the players and uh, yeah, I I like to consider myself sort of at the top of, of the, you know, or, or near the top of his pyramid, you know, but, um, Mm -hmm. But we, I mean, it's a hugely collaborative effort. But um, Ben is incredibly professional, like the way that he approaches everything, which is really impressive. And in fact, I mean, it's taught me a lot about the sport, the way that he approaches it. And it's neat for me to have my younger pros with less experience spend time with them because he teaches them how to be pro. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Everything you just said then is just, Music to my ears. It's, uh, I think a great coach is educating his athletes you know it's it, to some degree i don't, it's almost parenting right i mean it's yeah, like yeah, totally, i'm yeah. gradually getting you to 18 and then i want you on your own but i'll always be there for you you know right. it's like yeah. I, you know but i need you to take full control and and i've described it on this show numerous times how i believe the best way to go is you know in, you can have a couple of coaches along the way and each one is almost like a getting a degree you, you you're totally. learning what you can from them and you want to finish as a professional athlete or any athlete for Maybe just having somebody as a consultant, somebody that you're bouncing ideas off, somebody that you can call up once a week and go, hey, what do you think? Um, so everything you said there is just, man, I, I just think it's fantastic. And even the the fact of talking about data and uh, uh, Coach Cliff English, who I, I know you you probably know as well. Yeah, and, yeah I know. Uh, you know, and we were discussing this same sort of thing that, look, there, there's a place for data, there's a place for science, but a great coach is always going to separate himself by the ability to share that data in a way with athletes that, you know, it's an art, I guess. is It really is that that, that art, that ability to share with different personalities. They're all going to take on information differently. Um, Dr. Tommy Wood, who I had on a few episodes ago, and we were discussing um, how DNA and genetics (laughs) still has a long way to go because basically – the way that it works is either you are normal or you fail and he said there's a lot to do with the 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 negativity the that an a-type personality can take it on and go okay i i've got to work on taking more vitamin d i've got to do blah, blah, blah 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 and i can improve but general people in society are going to take that on as oh i suck You know, so in terms of how we we voice data, how we voice information to individuals is absolutely critical. Um, I want to discuss a little bit because, you know, it was like I hadn't heard of Ryan Bolton for a number of years. And then all of a sudden, I hear that Ryan Bolton's this super amazing East African marathon coach and coaching um,
1: these incredible athletes,
0: that part of your journey. Tell me a bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question a bit serendipitous, I would say is when I finished graduate school, you know, I started coaching, um, you know, age group athletes. I had an opportunity. Um, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I had an opportunity. There was a group of East Africans training there. And, you know, I mean, I, once again, I was 34 years old, 33 years old. I mean, I was still running a fair amount. I not definitely not competitively, but, um, by a good friend of mine, I was introduced to this group of athletes and the guy who was managing them at the time said, Hey, you know, I know that you coach people and you have a a background in this stuff. Will you work with, you know, some of these athletes? And he, he was like, will you coach them like part-time and just advise them? And I, and I said, no, (laughs) I said, you, I was like, it's, this is their job. This is their profession. You can't part-time coach someone. I was like, they're either on the bus or they're off the bus. And uh, and he was like, fine. And so I basically, maybe he had, you know, a dozen people in town and I sat down with each of them and they were highly skeptical because I was a, a triathlete, you know, this white guy triathlete, like what the hell do I know about running? So about half of them though, were like, okay, you know, let's give this a shot. And, um, and so I started working with them. I mean, it was like basically completely, you know, volunteer work. And like I said, at the time I, I, I was coaching, you know, age group athletes as well. Um, and you know, specifically triathletes, but I, I started working with them and I created a really tight relationship with, uh, with some of them relatively quickly. And it's like anything that you, I changed the way that they thought about racing. I, I changed the way that they thought about racing or, or training. They were the way that the East Africans treat at the time is they would get fit in Kenya. They would come to the United States. They would stay here for six weeks and they would just race, 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 race until they lost fitness and they couldn't race it well. And then they'd go back to Kenya, recharge the batteries, uh, you know, and I taught them, I was like, what you can do is you can come here. Let's periodize your schedule. Let's focus on major races. So let's not go to Toledo to win Mm. $500 next weekend. And then to, Ontario, Canada, the next you know, weekend to win five hundred dollars. And then I was like, let's focus on a few key events. And it was hard to get them to subscribe to that because they were addicted to getting those $500 paychecks as opposed to the $150,000 paycheck. But (laughs) I was, I mean, and just as a coach philosophically, like I'm interested in working with my elites. I'm interested in working with people who want to be world beaters. You know, I don't want, I'm not interested in, you know, the person who, you know, just wants to be, you know, you know, a working class, you know, pro or something. I really want to work with people, you know, because I think if I'm invested in them that much, you know, I want them to be that invested in the sport Mm -hmm. as well. And like I said, I got some people to subscribe and all it took was the success, of course, of, you know, one athlete, (laughs) you know, pretty early on. And they're like, oh, this works. And that guy just made $20,000 in one weekend, which is way more than all of us made last year combined. And uh, so then they're like, I'm on board. And, uh, you know, the person who has been with me since day one is Caroline Roteach and I'm still I still coach her I'm still incredibly close with her but she um she's a really good example she hopped on you know early on there and this was like in boy oh oh eight-ish and um it and you know I built I guess over, over years, you know, we built the relationship and I built her up to, you know, to the point where, you know, ultimately she won Boston in 2015. And at that
0: point. Yeah. Let, let, let me interrupt on that. Yeah. Let's, pause, <laughs> let's hit the pause button. Don't just, let's not just jump over. Probably one of the, the biggest marathons in the world that anybody, every marathon want, wants to win. You know, yeah, Boston sure. marathon. It's just yeah. anybody that understands running. It is, it is the race to win. Okay. Sure. Caroline <laughs> winning Boston 2015. How does it compare to your Olympic experience? Which is better?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, by far, her winning Boston.
0: Yeah, oh, I love it. I mean, I mean yeah, by yeah, by, yeah. by
1: far. You know, I mean yeah. i I can't watch that race because uh, if I do, like, I get emotional. <laughs> you know, I mean it's it's just such a powerful experience because the thing is, as a coach, and I mean, as an athlete you know, you went through all of the training and all of the experiences, but as a coach, you know, you went through all of, all of her training, all of her experiences, plus your experiences with her on that journey, you know? And I think, so it almost like doubles the, the level of like intensity or emotion or, you know, uh, gratification or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So no, I mean, you know, it's funny because when, she, when she, like when she crossed the finish line, fortunately I was able to be there. What they do is it's like, this was actually crazy. And you'll appreciate this from an athlete standpoint during the Boston marathon, all the coaches and the agents are in like a a press room, basically watching the race. Um, in Boston, they actually take us out to the start line so I can go out to start line with the athletes and then I see them off and then they shuttle you, you know, back to downtown Boston. But anyway, um, then you watch the race, but maybe it had to have been at with about 5k to go there. It was down to three women, um, Mm -hmm. at that point in the race. And they, they come into the room and they say, Hey, if you're the agent or they, I mean, they know who all of us are. So they're like, Hey, Ryan, you know, Caro's whatever top three right now, we need to bring you to the finish line. And this was the year after the bombings in Boston. So, Mm -hmm. So 5K to go, like I'm on the edge of my seat because <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. And they have to shuttle us from the the Fairmont, which is right off of the square right there to the finish line, which I mean, it's only, it's maybe 150 meters, but because of the bombing the year before, and, and rightfully so, there was in, incredible amounts of security and so the security was not going to let us through, and I'm just like ticking off like the seconds in my head because I have no idea what's going on with my athlete. Who, mm. you know, and so we get up, and I'm with her agent, and and we get we finally like you know, we get through the security and stuff, and we get and all I can see is straight down, you know, hop, uh, uh, the the main drag, you know, the last Boylston there, and um and. And I see the big screen and her agent's like, what's going on? And all I can see are two, you know, little girls, like, you know, whatever, 400 meters down the line. He's like, is that her? And I'm like, I have no idea. And we look up on the screen and it's her. And, uh, and, you know, and she's kind of in a sprint finish with this, uh, this Ethiopian woman. And, um, but from that perspective, from behind the finish line, especially when it's close finish, you have no idea like what's going Mm. on, but it was so tense. Those like, you know, whatever, six minutes. And those couple kilometers that I didn't see at that point, I mean, was just so intense not being able to watch that. And then, but then fortunately, and honestly, when she crossed the line, like her agents, like what just happened? Like, and I was like, she won. And uh, like, yeah, I mean, we almost didn't know what happened because we're just standing right there and everything. But, uh, but anyway, I guess you ask like about like, how did it feel or how does that feel compared to the Olympics is all I could continue. I just kept on saying, I'm proud of you, <laughs> you know, to her, I knew how much it meant to her and to her family and, you know, financially, like all of that stuff. Like it's just, it's such a big moment for them in their lives. So, but I mean, for me as a coach too, like it it was really great, but I can also tell you this as a coach and it's kind of how we are as athletes. And we were talking about this earlier, like the next thing that came into my mind was what's next. <laughs> I mean, yeah, isn't it funny? Yeah. Bigger? What's, what's bigger than this you know what's the current world record you know I mean you just you always want more and you always want more success for your athletes and you know you always want them to be better and I mean I think that's one thing that keeps me going as a coach is you know you just always want your athletes to be you know more successful and I think it probably pisses them off sometimes when they're like hey coach I just had an amazing race I'm like yeah but <laughs> you, no, fine. This much, you know what i mean and yeah you know it's just it's for me it's like i yeah i always want them to do better i always want them to you know have more success and everything and And, uh, yeah, and I think maybe I'm a hard coach that way because sometimes athletes have big successes and they feel like I'm not happy. And I'm like, no, I'm incredibly happy with you. I just just know that you have even more in you. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. I think it's – I've had so many guests on this past year where some of them said, oh, yeah, I won that world title, but I was so busy thinking about the Olympics or whatever. I didn't stop to – truly appreciate and enjoy it you know and and that was one of thing i got better as i got older as i actually started going okay what i just did was whatever it was. it was it was remarkable and incredible and i need to give myself that time and i got to the point where i just sit down in the basement for a couple of days and just let it sit you know i didn't talk to anyone really i just let it sit and really sink in and 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 that really helped me then go okay and I get to a point you know 3 or 4 days later okay now what do we want to do? But it was that kind helped. of like, for me, yeah. I needed that time. And and I think we're all different. We all process things different. Some people are incredibly driven and, you know, there's never enough, but I got to the point of going, okay, that was pretty cool. Just let it sit in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I know, And that's great. And that's maturity. Like on your part too, you know what I mean?
0: How much more in demand are you as a coach now? Obviously you've got Ben uh, doing incredible things, winning South Africa Ironman so many times, fastest marathon split at Florida Ironman ever. Uh, You know, his, his consistency at Ironman Kona and then with Carolyn and, and Sam Long, are you turning down athletes now or what's that look like?
1: Yeah, you know, it's complicated because like, I have an incredibly hard time, you know, saying no to people. And like, and I guess the other thing as a coach is you see potential in everyone. So when people approach me about coaching, like a lot of times that's, you know, you you kind of assess like, you know, what is their potential? Like, who is this person? Um, I mean, there's so many things like to look at and everything. And I mean, once again, you can look at their data and all that type of stuff. But I think that, like, I also need to assess, you know, what kind of a person are they? And I mean, it, it is like what we talked about, the relationship component such a huge part of it that I want to know that the person that I'm working with is a person who I can have a relationship with and, and all of that. So yeah, I mean, I do, you know, getting inquiries about coaching, I take all of those things into account. And of course, sometimes I say no. And other times I say yes. And, uh, you know, it's it's almost like, uh, I don't, it makes it sound too dry. If I I say it's a risk assessment type situation, but, you know, it, it kind of is, you know, but like I said, a lot of it to me has to do with also just the personality of the athlete and what, you know, what I see in them and, and, you know, like as a person and the, what I see, like as our potential growth, you know, together in a, in a coach athlete relationship and everything. But the other thing is, is, and I always say this, you know, working with pros, like I, when, when I'm planning a season or planning a race or planning training, like when you're working with a pro, it's an incredibly intense relationship because as you know, every I needs to be dotted, every T needs to be crossed. And we need to make sure that, you know, every piece of fruit is being grabbed and, you know, and that we're addressing every single issue. And that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of emotion. And, you know, we talk about the highs of Caro winning Boston. I mean, that's an incredible high, but I feel those highs as much as I feel the lows of the athletes too. So you know, if they have a bad race or everything, like it really has an impact on me emotionally. And I mean, I wish, and this is funny, I wish that I could detach from that. But I also think that it would make me a significantly less good coach if I, if I did detach from that, because I do think that a big part of being a great coach is being, you know, emotionally invested in your athletes and in their results and their wellness and all that type of stuff. So I guess the whole point of all of that is, is like, yeah, I mean, when taking on an athlete, like I consider all of those things because it's not, it's not an easy decision because I know that if I do say yes to someone that it means, a, you know, a pretty big time. You're all in. You're I'll all in. I mean, it's not something I'd be like, it's kind of like what I said with the East Africans when I start working with them. I'm like, this isn't, you know, this isn't a, you know, partial thing like this. It's either a hundred percent or nothing. And, and I mean, that's the way that I approach it. And particularly, with professionals because it is their livelihood. It's their profession. It's their passion. It's, Mm. you know, incredibly important to them. So, yeah, I want to make sure that if, you know, if they're all in, I'm all in, but that's another thing I want to make sure they're all in as well.
0: Of course. Of course. It's equal commitment. Now I want to touch a little bit on before we go to some of your, your, your basic, your, your training kind of the way that you're working with your athletes on a yearly, you know, four yearly cycle depending on olympics and everything else yeah are you somebody would you say you're coming from the side of larger miles or you just look at each athlete individually how are you kind of i guess periodizing a year for each athlete
1: yeah well i i guess first of all and you i'm really big into periodization i really believe in polarized training um both on a macro and micro scale so you know within the year um you know, I, I definitely make sure and I definitely preach to my athletes that there's times where you need to be taking it easy. And we definitely go through those rest periods. Um, and, you know, some athletes like that's no problem. <laughs> As you know, like, they're like, oh, great. you So you want me to drink beer for the next month and do nothing? Then uh, no problem. <laughs> Whereas other ones, you know, after two days, they're like, oh, sorry, I just went for a 200 mile bike ride yesterday because I couldn't help myself. But um, But anyway, you know, making sure that, you know, they go through that. But also, Uh, you know, polarized with like, even on, you know, within weekly and monthly cycles where our high intensity sessions are certainly high intensity and our low intensity sessions are, you know, aerobic. And once again, as you know, being an athlete, oftentimes getting people to go slow or go light is, is the most difficult thing, you know, they want to go hard all the time, but I would say, you know, on a yearly cycle and in general, I I am a believer in volume. I I definitely think that the foundation and building that foundation and building that aerobic base is hugely important, no matter who the athlete is. Um, You know, as an athlete gets older and longer into their career, those phases can be shorter. And, you know, I can do a little bit more like block periodizing or even reverse periodization sometimes with those types of athletes. With younger athletes, I'm a huge believer in building up that foundation,
0: and that and, base. Then, and then keeping that foundation. I mean, do you keep that kind of yes, that yeah. kind of work? Going? Yeah,
1: yeah. In a sense, I do. I guess what I like to do is build up a big enough foundation that then what we can do is we can add intensity to that foundation, and for them to be able to maintain most of that foundation while adding that uh, intensity without getting broken down, and you know, and obviously without getting injured as well. So yeah, I, and you know for me especially for ironman racing like it's i that strength that foundation is huge and i think you know we talked about this earlier your itu guys that you know transition to ironman training i think that the ones who do have success like recognize that and recognize that you know strength is so much more of a factor you know, and having that endurance and everything is, is, is really huge. And some of the guys that, you know, don't address that end up not being as successful Mm -hmm. and, or, Mm -hmm. and, or getting injured, you know, and, and hurting themselves and everything. But in general, you know, you, you always wonder what you look like uh, from the outside. And I guess the the feedback that I get from my athletes is that it's hard. (laughs) So that (laughs) training is hard and uh, which I mean, but, You know, it's also, and this is hugely important while, you know, while I do have some fundamental, you know, core philosophies such as periodization and the polarization, and also, you know, really stacking some volume and some strength in, you know, throughout the season. um, And also, I guess, you know, another key component of that is as we get closer to a race, we add more and more specificity to what that race is, of course. everyone is an individual and what Sam long and what Ben Hoffman do is different. You know, I mean, like once again, core principles are similar, but Ben's in the latter stages of his career, he's incredibly established. He has this, this giant, giant foundation. You know, Sam is, you know, still, you know, a young dog, you know, being trained and, you know, and we have to work on very different things. I mean, all the way from technical stuff, you know, you still have to work on that type of stuff with a guy like him and form and technique. Um, But uh, but also, you know, building him a little bit more gradually, actually having him do, you know, lower intensity, but longer stuff, because like with Sam, like a good approach with him is, you know, I'm thinking long term with him. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's had a really great last couple of years, but I, I really think that it's still, once again, I'm not pleased with what he's accomplished with yet. And I shouldn't be. And he shouldn't be because, I mean, he's just starting to scratch the surface and, you know and it's it's hard to tell a 25 year old kid that because you know he wants the world and he wants it now but uh <laughs> but uh, i know your your job as a coach
0: for 25 is just to pull the reins in exactly, it? it's like,
1: yeah, i want you to
0: be in the sport for your golden 30s so <laughs> let's get to 30 31 because that's when the true magic really starts happening so let's exactly. just that.
1: yeah yeah and that's what we Sam, i'm like listen you know like you, you can win kona like many times like multiple times i really think that that's possible. And uh, but uh, but I'm like, but it's going to take time, and and that's not going to be the goal, you know, like initially here. And we need to, could we do that? Could we push you to these specific limits and push you know these buttons and try to do it in the next year or two? Yeah, we totally could, but it wouldn't be best long term. And like for him, you know, I'm thinking long term, whereas you know, once again, flipping to Ben, this is the time we're 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 pushing all of those, it's on now, it's on now, yeah, exactly, you know, it's full on. And, And Ben's also in that mental state where. He is, you know, and he knows that like, you know, COVID, COVID was an interesting year because it's the same thing. There's two different approaches and people like, this is funny because talking about these two athletes, we had very different conversations in March with these two athletes with, with Sam. I'm like, listen, you're young. You won a few good races last year. You're not totally relevant yet. People don't totally know who you are. You have boundless amounts of energy. You have tons of potential um, let's drill it. If you're good with continuing to drill it, like let's put a bunch of carrots out there this year. And as you you know, if you followed Sam's year, you know, and, and that it's a collaborative effort, you know, what do you want to do? What do I think you should do? So, you know, well, I want to, you know, do these Strava KOMs. Awesome. You know, they're high profile KOMs people get behind that stuff. Um, but you know, Sam didn't, it it was a good year for him to develop himself as an athlete and develop himself in his career and his, and his batteries are on full charge and he has tons of them. So, you know, he, like I said, he has boundless amounts of energy. So it was a really good year to take advantage of that. And he did, you know, he, he really put himself out there. He had a phenomenal year. He, he raced really well. You know, he was gung ho the entire year. And I mean, and he finished his season in Daytona, which was actually, it was an afterthought race for him, but, um, but Mm -hmm. he ended up doing pretty well. And, um, and of course he made like about, you know, 2 million rookie mistakes, but that's the way that, you know, he still is. And, and, you know, after the race, like, and it's funny because Sam, this is the way he processes things is, you know, sometimes I'll be like, well, you know, do you think that maybe you should have done this and, you know, or did you forget to do this? And he'd be like, no, I don't think so. And then two days later, he'll be like, you know what? I totally forgot to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it takes him a while, but yeah, they, but anyway, um, you know, he ended up ultimately, but like I said, it, it, immediately after, you know, Daytona, like once again, he's rip-roaring and ready to go, you know? And I'm like, okay, let's take mm-hmm. a little bit of downtime. Let's really plan it, you know, a cognitive, you know, 2021. Whereas Ben Hoffman on the, in contrast, you know, in March, you know, he's got a new baby and um, I mean, relatively new, you know, his wife had uh, Josie, their, their first mm. um, daughter. We'll and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is, Josie is, she's, you know, well, well, I guess she was born a month before Conan in 2019. So, you know, but Ben's later in his career and I'm like, Ben's, he's incredibly established. He has, you know, his giant goal and one goal is to win Hawaii and is to win Hawaii now. And I think, you know, for him, for me, I was like, let's make sure those batteries are fully charged for 2021 when you're going to be in Kona and let's do what it takes to get you there. And so, you know, so Ben's approach was like, well, I'm going to be a lot more conservative and I'm going to spend time with my family. And that is how Ben recharges his battery. So, you know, his approach was very much more the established, you know, he's an established pro. He has nothing to prove. (laughs) You know what I mean? The thing that he has to prove is, you know, he wants to win Kona. and, and, you know, so we said, well, what is the optimal way to get you, you know, to Kona in 2021? And that was more by him keeping a low key year last year and really focusing his energy. And I think it paid off because now, I mean, I told you earlier on our call that I talked to Ben earlier today, like, like he's, he's back at, he's full on Ben mode again, you know what I mean? Which is intense. And, um, but it's great to see because, you know, last year was almost, I mean, it was a bummer and he loves racing as much as anyone does. But, um, but I do feel like it was a great opportunity for him to recharge his battery. So there's two different athletes, um, that I work with who, you know, had two very different approaches to last year and mm-hmm. it was both based on, you know, their personalities and where they are in their careers. So, I mean, it's kind of important to look at him each that way, and I mean that's how I approach each athlete—is
0: you know, kind of. I love what- that. It's such great illustrations of of uh, optimizing each person, you know, where they're at, where they're at in their careers, and, and dealing with COVID and in ex- the emotions that went with that. It's just, it really is fantastic to just hear you talk about managing all these varying personalities, varying sports, varying ages, and 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 how you're able to do that. I just think it's fantastic. How much are you involved? in an athlete's actual racing, pacing, do you sit down with an athlete before a race and say, look, race, you know, conservatively here, 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 and then attack here, here, or do you just let your athletes go and do their thing?
1: No, yeah, it's, it's we usually do a, a lot of planning around that. And it's um, because I feel like more so than ever, there, I mean, there are a lot of tactics involved and then obviously planning a race around You know, certain people's strengths and their weaknesses, and, you know, all that. But no, very much so. We go into races, like I say, with each of my athletes with pretty specific race plans. Yeah. And um, it's very rare. I mean, You know, if it's a if it's a seventy point three race that they're just popping through on their way to another race or something like that, sometimes it is. It's like, hey, pull the gloves off and do whatever you want to do today, and let's see what happens. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or we have a plan, and the plan is to do something unconventional, and uh, you know, and and to see how that works, or you know, use that as a learning opportunity or something. But the big races, you know, but they're usually well, almost always, you know, there's pretty good analysis on you know, who's in the race, you know, how's this likely going to play out? How's this going to, you know, play into your favor? You know, what do your numbers look like right now? What do they need to look like in the race, you know, from calories to power to pacing and all that type of stuff? Um, you know, uh, Ben in 2019, um, you know, going into Kona, we knew that his run was spot on and, and better than it had ever been before. And Ben historically, you know, had the like biked, you know, pretty hard and often with the front group. And in that race, he was like, I'm going to, the big thing that he wanted to prove to himself in that race was that he can run with the fastest guys in the world. And I mean, he, he normally had, but, um, in that race, I mean, it's a risk to take, but I would say, you know, he almost like held back a little bit on the bike than he normally would have, but then he had, you know, the second fastest run split of the day and he was only 20 seconds be- behind you know, Jan split and, uh, and he ran himself like through the field and, you know, had a phenomenal day. And the value of that to us in that race, you know, and especially to me as a coach is Ben, all of a sudden he's is like, he, you know, he's like, holy, I, I can, I can run with anyone in this.
0: He now race. sees himself as a runner. It's, he, exactly. A, it's a, a mental shift.
1: No one thought of Ben Hoffman as being like a a runner. And now he's the, I mean, he's ran the fastest marathon on on a, on a, you know, legit uh, distance course of anyone ever in the sport of triathlon. And I mean, that's, to me, like, that's phenomenal. But it also, it was the one piece of the game, maybe, that it was going to take for him to win Kona. And now he has that, both in his physical wheelhouse, but also in his mental wheelhouse. And so, you know, to me, that was an incredibly valuable. But, I mean, I guess, you know, the point of that is, is you know, it, it was... At least partially a cognitive decision to make sure I wanted to build up his confidence in the run so that he didn't feel like he had to over bike, you know, and to to put himself in a position on the run. I wanted him to yeah. wanted him so, and I, you know, I think it worked out well. And then you know, of course, as you know, like not long after that, he went to Ironman Florida and. And ran that incredibly fast run split, so mm. that was really good, you know, for him. It's
0: empowering. It's empowering yeah, when sure. you know you've when you know you've got a weapon. You know, yeah. it's one thing to be strong across all three, but to know you've got a weapon in your back pocket, and that weapon be the run. I always yeah. think it finishes off the race. So if you've got it as a weapon, it is. Yeah, I remember. I remember. You know, when yeah. when I was looking at building, you know, started training myself a lot more, and I started doing the math, and really looked at every race in the world, and and who was winning, and it really came down to almost ninety percent were getting one by the runner, yeah. the, the guy that, I was like, well, hang on, the math is in front of you. <laughs> and, and I remember changing a lot of the way I approached my training to go, you've got to be the best runner in the world. Uh, what's it going to take? And for me, that was doing a lot of work on the great Arthur Lyddiard,
1: Um mm, Yeah, yeah Lydiard. Yeah, I love Lydiard. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: he's one of them. All. Yeah, I, well, it yeah. sounds like anybody that talks about Long endurance miles tends to love a Arthur Lydiard. I
1: have a great Lydiard story real quickly. I, I saw him speak. Uh, I don't know. This is a long time ago. Maybe twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. And he, and he, his his thing was, and I can't remember who it was, but one of his superstars back in the day, like Peter Snell or something. He was like, you know, he, and he said he would do this with his athletes, and it was to emphasize his point. Is he said if an athlete and you know a young pro runner came to me and said, "Hey, I want to train with you," he would say, "Great." For the next 12 months, go run 120 miles a week every every week for 12 months, then come back and we'll start talking. <laughs> so, and uh, I thought that was really funny. And of course, that's not the way he approached things, but he was just emphasizing that he really was a believer in, you know, these young guys had to have this big foundation to be to maintain health and then strength and then ultimately to get really fast. So, yeah.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned Peter Snell. I mean, he won the 800 meters in, what was it, 72 or 76? I can't
1: remember. Which yeah, right around there. Yeah. Won
0: the 800, wasn't known for his finishing kick. Right. But it came out that he was running 20-mile runs at best Order. easy pace you know, so 32-kilometer yeah. runs at best easy pace under two hours, yeah. uh, which became my staple, as I talked about with Chris McCormack last week, became yeah. my staple yeah. every week, even for Olympic distance. I wanted to know I could sprint 10K off the bike. And uh, and that became the go-to. And just developing the pace got faster, but it stayed easy. Uh, and that was my whole mindset for a lot of my training. And, and don't get me wrong, I think there were times I probably did need a coach to pull me back a little bit. Um, you know, it would have been good to have you in my corner go, Greg, you're going too much,
1: but you know, when it's working,
0: you're like, yeah, this is all, this is all perfect. Look, I've kept you so, so long, but there's, you know, I wanted to talk about, gosh, I've got a list of things here, but I've enjoyed just really getting to know you and your journey and your process. Um, You know, I, I think we could have dived in a lot more into you know, the science of it all and, oh, and your sure. approach. Yeah. But, but I'm going to have to have you back on for all that. What do you think?
1: No, I, I love that. That'd be fun. We can, we can, yeah, we still have some reminiscing about the old days to do as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah well, there we go. The next uh, one will be reminiscing and yeah.
0: But it has been fantastic. And I really want to congratulate you on all your success, both in your own career and now serving and helping others. I think it's, um, there's not many that have been able to do what you're doing, both. You know, I think you and Siri Lindley, it's funny, you both shared a room back at McKeely Jones's place in 98. You've gone on to both have successful careers of your own right and then you've gone on to coach... You know, Boston Marathon champions, world champions, and and you both become two of the great coaches of the world. So it's a, uh, it's it's interesting that you you've both been able to put that together. So congrats on doing that.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. Well, I mean, ultimately, too, it just shows you like ultimate like how small. Like you know, this is the center of your your universe, and it's the center of my universe. But ultimately, it's a pretty small world. You know, we live in these relatively small universes, but. I think that's a great thing about the sport is that we are ultimately like really pretty tight and really close to each other. And, uh, and I mean, it mm-hmm. makes it special in that way. So it's nice.
0: Well, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and having you on. So thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, now, how do people get in touch with you bolton endurance is yeah yeah
1: you can like you know of course we have social media accounts and you know on instagram it's at bolton endurance um i personally i'm not insanely active on social media i do have social media accounts um and so i'm at coach ryan bolton um, on Instagram, but, uh, yeah. And I mean, you, if you, if you just Google Bolton endurance too, you t- you'd take, you take to our website, mm. you know, all our contact information Perfect. and everything's on there. So, yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on and thank you everybody for listening. Now, if you want to find more about Ryan, I'll have all of the show notes, timestamps, um, the sponsors coupon codes and all the links are going to be at Bennett Endurance dot com forward slash media Uh, so you'll be able to find all the information there Um, all right thanks everybody for listening and Ryan thanks for your time mate
1: yeah Greg thanks so much and uh, it's always good to see uh, you and I hope Laura and the two kids are doing well we're
0: doing great mate all right stay on the line thanks a lot for listening if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit BennettEndurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time. And I hope you will join Greg again very soon.